Well, I'm not a crook. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. It transcends the senses. This is Murder of Grey. So I've been playing Citizen Sleeper, and I know that you played it as well. And God, I love that game. That game is fantastic. And to kind of put like a little, I guess, uh, mix here between our two shows, you know, like I felt like it was like a perfect fit between those two, honestly. But Citizen Sleeper really got me thinking a lot about Blade Runner and how much I absolutely love that movie and the book, right? The, I mean, the book is fantastic. I'm going to sound like one of those nerds as well that's like, oh man the book's so much better than the movie but in my opinion it really is <laughs> like it's there's so much really cool stuff there but like oh god i absolutely love this thing and it just it brought back all those like nostalgia feels you know oh yeah, yeah. the citizen sleeper like it it reminded me about blade runner mostly because not only was the story somewhat the same with sleepers being replicants and they're being hunted but the music too i mean I don't want to say the music is like Vangelis level of artistry, rest in peace, but the music was still really good in Citizen Sleeper, and I was like, it captured that so well. Like, if Blade Runner was more like in a space colony rather than what seemed like just like a night city. Well, it was like uh, future LA, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, future LA. But if it was more on like a I'm, I don't want to say like a halo, but like a, just a space colony from like Gundam Wing or something like the big like mm-hmm. structure in space. Like I feel like it literally is almost the same like story wise. It's just I feel like Citizen Sleeper is taken more in like a empathetic route. I feel right, like. right. It really drove home that point, and I think people if like. If that is something that you felt was missing from Blade Runner, honestly, the book really goes into that like empathy route pretty heavily. And it, it really like drives home those points really amazingly, actually. So definitely recommend reading the book if you guys haven't checked that out. But before we dive in, uh, you know, as always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And this is the Murder of Grey podcast. So today, as you can probably guess, we're going to be discussing Blade Runner. Uh, Blade Runner is a great title, and I'm surprised that we haven't talked about it yet. We have dove into a little bit of the AI stuff, and I'm sure we touched on Blade Runner a little bit uh, in that episode as well. But there are actually quite a few interesting questions that come out of this story. And, you know, thank you, Philip K. Dick, for writing this book. Uh, The original title for the story is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And I think that question alone just really says a lot, right? Like it just really, really drives home this point of like we are creating sentient, like thinking robots 
and we are starting to make them even more realistic every single day. And when this book was originally written, like we were definitely not as advanced as we are today. So it's even more prevalent now. And I feel like this story becomes more relevant uh, as time passes, which I think is great. And it just it makes it timeless. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, from the internet i did pull like the synopsis or like the main moral behind blade runner right so this is the direct quote from that just to kind of give us a little bit of a framework to build off of and expand for this episode so the moral of blade runner films is that what matters is the quality of mental life not its biological origins or even whether it is original in the future, new life forms will exist with mental lives. Some of these will be biological in origin and others will arise from AI. Now, that is a lot to kind of dive into and dissect, but really to just kind of break it down in simple, simple terms, it's life as we know it is going to change. What we consider a living thing is definitely going to change in the future. Uh, there's probably going to be AI rights, you know, in 100 years and things like that. So it's something to kind of keep in the back of our mind. But it then we're going to have to kind of accept the idea that life doesn't have to come from biological matter. It can come from just machine learning, but or it could have biological origins in that nature as well. So very, very interesting kind of complex thoughts there. But it's it's a lot to kind of dissect. What, what do you think about that initial statement there? I just keep thinking about how they thought of this kind of stuff back in the 80s. Right? <laughs> like it thinking about like for me do electric um do Andrew's dream of electric sheep and um there was another book that came out in the 80s that oh neuromancer um, oh neuromancer is great well and, like all these 80s and 70s sci-fi films were fantastic and it's so crazy what they like logan's run you know like even terminator with skynet and mm -hmm. all that stuff like they really spoke about what was going to happen and it's weird that they were able to come up with this stuff i mean think about it some of the stuff in these books are happening now i mean um ready player one to an extent i feel like could be happening soon i don't think we'll get to the point where everyone is like <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry buddy disclaimer i have covid so i'm a little Speaking kind of funny, but uh, and we are in separate recording areas. Don't worry, everybody. We're being safe. Yeah, yeah. I'm isolated. <laughs> um, it it in that. Well, I'm, I'm thinking more of the movie, just so I can visually paint it better, you know. But in Ready Player One, everyone's like in their own space on VR, you know. Like when Facebook was doing their meta, everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna be that." And it's interesting because I feel like. Every maybe five, ten years, we have one thing that gets really picked up from some of these books from the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. like when AI was becoming more of a prevalent thing, I feel like it was like the early 2000s, right? When yeah, people were talking more about AI. Yeah, I think it, uh, it branched out with that first. Remember that old YouTube clip of the um, like the Japanese lady robot? That would like um, talk to you. I think that was like the first one where people were like, oh, my God, this is terrifying, you know, and they like yep. took her head off and they're like, oh, my God, it's a robot. Right. And it was. Yeah. 
I uh I read it while I was looking this stuff up uh recently I saw an article on I forget the name but it's kind of that well-known robot AI which actually might be the one you're talking about and how she wants a child and I'm like yeah. I don't know it's just interesting to me you know like I have a lot more to that I've thought about on this subject that I'll discuss later but it's I don't know, it's just truly fascinating. You know, as someone who grew up, well, both of us grew up in a time where none of this really seemed like it would really happen in our day and age, and here it is, Mm -hmm. and it's like... I mean, we were growing up when internet was first being, like, massively introduced to the wide range of everybody, right? Like, so think about that. Like, look at how far we've come from that and like how fast technology is expanding. And I know I keep talking about my work a lot, but like, I feel like it kind of relates to this stuff. Like just this week, we were going over with eight-year-old kids how to properly lay out circuit boards and doing that, like each kid was doing it on their own private mini computer at their desk, you know, and like actually creating circuitry. And like, holy crap, you're eight, you know? Like it's amazing how fast technology moves and in such a short amount of time. That is really cool. Yeah. Lucky kids. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wish I had that as a kid. I know. Same. <laughs> so I think probably maybe we should dive into a couple of the smaller aspects that are still mm-hmm. very interesting within the Blade Runner universe and then start hitting some of the heavier target ones. And so I think the first thing that we get introduced to in the movie itself and also in the book, um, it, which is nicely how they both lay this this idea out very early in the story itself. Um, And it is the idea of owning an animal, Uh, owning an animal in this time. So kind of like painting the framework here, if anyone is unfamiliar with the Blade Runner universe, uh, I believe it was actually was 2020, right? Wasn't it? (laughs) In the first original one? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think so. Because I remember people were like freaking out about it. Yeah. So the original Blade Runner was set in 2020 LA with flying cars and mass like pollution and incredible poverty, just really run down conditions, you know, just like it is right now. No, (laughs) they got it mostly right. (laughs) It's almost there. Uh, But what was there's a couple things that are really interesting about setting this scene here. Um, so one of them is the fact that animals are very scarce because of the pollution, the overpopulation, uh, all those things like animals aren't able to survive and thrive or people just can't pay to, you know, keep up with them or, uh, you know, pay to feed them at a constant rate. So actually owning an animal shows that you have enough disposable income to take care of a living creature beside yourself. And that is a major sign of prosperity and wealth. Uh, but it's it's one of the it's so weird. And it, it's it boils down to that people are even willing to go to a black market dealer to get artificial animals. So people are making AI animals for others to purchase so that they can flaunt their success and make it appear as if they are actually very well off, which I found very fascinating. And it's such like a throwaway detail in the film, but it really stands out to me as something very interesting is how when it and it shows you know whenever an item becomes incredibly scarce then it becomes incredibly you know sought after right and kind of looking at it too right now with how gas prices are blowing up through the roof 
like we like whoever owns that chain is obviously going to be making a crap ton of money right and it's going to be a very sought after commodity or even looking at like universes like mad max right water was an incredibly important uh, resource where it got to the point that whoever had the water was looked at as like a prophet of god right so very very interesting stuff and it's it's such a tiny detail but absolutely love this aspect and it makes me feel really good and reminds me that like oh i own two cats i would be very well off (laughs) in that universe itself so very interesting and like in the in the book itself like it really goes it dives into how decker is incredibly jealous of his neighbor who happens to own i believe a horse and claims that it is a real horse right and decker i think just has like a fish or something at that point and you know so like obviously depending on the size of the animal how exotic it is uh your wealth or perceived wealth goes up with that too so i i don't know there's something about that that just really caught my eye and i was like ah that's actually really really cool and very interesting to think about yeah it's interesting that they would pick animals but Mm. i guess it kind of makes sense because you know when we think of ai we think usually of just humans but what's the other species mm. that's alive so i mean it makes sense that animals would be the second best since that's kind of how they're portrayed already that's true. but i'm kind of curious how an ai like you know no one's done like an ai like re- well, I guess they've done robotic animals, like the little robot dogs and stuff. But well, yeah, they have robotic dogs. They have the therapy seal that is actually at like elderly homes, which is really interesting. Um, and mm. they also have AI functioning um, like fish that will navigate, you know, waters just like fish do uh, and without any like outside except for like just turning on the code itself. After that, the animals will do their own thing and it like legit works. It's really amazing. Uh, It's pretty crazy. And they've even done it too with like jellyfish. Uh, They've made jellyfish AI that actually float in the air and are able to like swim through the sky. But it's all AI. It's very fascinating stuff. What the fuck? That's kind of cool. I didn't know about the jellyfish. Yeah, jellyfish is beautiful. Like if if you get a chance, start like kind of diving down that rabbit hole of uh, AI robots and you'll find some really cool stuff. Like I've I've been really like diving down like a robotics uh, like hole here, (laughs) a little rabbit hole for (laughs) myself. But, you know, that's for other purposes that we'll talk about some other time. (laughs) But yeah, it's interesting, like, you know, showing like a sense of wealth i mean another thing too with a lot of these stories that take place in the future a lot of times money doesn't seem really like the the status symbol right right like nowadays right in our age like money is king you know more money you have the more powerful you are granted no one can see your money but when they see the amount of property you own or just things you have people think you know you're doing well but in the future you know i'm thinking about you know like star trek they have replicators they have they just kind of can get everything that they need or want right there Mm -hmm. and you think about other sci-fi stuff and it's always like 
as if everything is kind of given to them. I know, like, you could argue, like, oh, some planets are more poor than others. Like, you look at Star Wars, but it's it's interesting how the future always kind of depicts currency as, like, really not important compared to certain symbols. Well, if you think about show it, you too, as, like, like if, it, if an entire community is poor, then money means nothing, right? So you need something mm-hmm. else to become your status symbol. So I think that's what's really cool about the animal thing is that like he's obviously in, you know, like the low end of L.A. Like he's in a very impoverished area. And of course, you can see like the giant skyscrapers and things like that, where the people who are you know flourishing live like the higher people or, you know, the upper class people. And like so in his community or his little area, obviously, that's going to be like his certain sign of wealth there. Hmm. Yeah, something different to think about. So, now, as we dive into the whole idea of Decker himself, so Decker, his job is to basically retire replicants, right? Replicants that kind of get out of hand themselves. Um, So, he's Mm -hmm. basically a repo man, right? So, he has a couple things that he does with this. But before we start going into like the tools that he uses um, as a, you know, weirdly stylized detective in a way, uh, one of the things is that he I kind of want to dive into is the fact that he's hunting intelligent property, right? So it, it's kind of like a weird thought there. Like as a repo man, you know, you just go in, you're like, okay, they owe a debt. We're just going to take this back or like a recall on a product okay, this product's no good, we just got to pull it from the shelf. But now you're doing this to something that can actually think, it can actually talk to you, it can make decisions, it might have, you know, like obligations to society currently, and you're treating it as property, right? And I, I that's such a weird concept to think about and something I am still trying to figure out like how, <laughs> like how, a person could feasibly do that, right? Like, at what point do you have to turn your brain off and just accept the fact that it, this is property, right? It, despite how much they might cry, because they even do produce tears, how much they might show emotion, if they, you know, like, it, there's a lot to that. And like, you kind of have to be really dead inside to actually do this. So it's really interesting that we have sympathy for a main character that is theoretically just completely dead inside i think the movie kind of doesn't portray it in the beginning either uh like kind of the seriousness of it because i feel like the movie kind of portrays like replicants as like let's say outlaws but as the non-upstanding citizen right? right and like we used to have property, I'm also thinking of like going back to Citizen Sleeper, where the sleepers were basically slave drones working for like a corporate entity. Mm-hmm. So it's like it makes sense in that world where they're getting hunted as property versus Blade Runner, where it's like so they're not so here's, really here's property, the thing. But so 
here's some back lore behind Blade Runner that isn't really explained in the movies or uh, very heavily, right? It's, there's a couple of throwaway lines in the movies talking about, oh, there's a mining colony filled with replicants and some of them uprised and a couple of them escaped during this uprise, right? And so those mm-hmm. are the ones that Decker is now hunting down. Well, the replicants were actually made and sent out to inhabitable planets that people or planets mm. that humans can't live on in order to then uh, make it habitable for humanity. That it was their original task was to do that um, and like to set up farming, to set up a sta- like civilization so that we can just go there and live there. Because obviously in that in this scenario of uh, this world, like the world is dying, so they need an outlet. So the these things are basically mining robots or like what's the right term for it like a geo oh gosh I can't remember the 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 term for um terraformers so they're they're terraformer robots like that's that's mm. that's what their main task was or at least the ones that Decker was hunting like they they actually are built for a job but they happen to look like humans. And I'm wondering why that is. And it it kind of makes sense, right? So like if you just have, it, we've seen it with like the, um, the, oh gosh, the, like in the early 20s during the Great Depression or things, the industrial ages, right? Whenever we would get machines to then take people's jobs away, uh, the people hated the machines and they rebelled against, you know, the com- the companies that were making them. And there's a lot of like yep. spite for that. But now if you integrate machines that now look like people, people are naturally empathetic or most are, I would say most of the community is. So it's harder to then get mad at a person or something that looks or resembles a person rather than just a lifeless machine. Something that can actually talk back to you, right? And answer your questions versus, you know, just a robotic arm to do, to, you know, screw the toothpaste cap on. You know, like it's, that's the kind of the background story behind it. So I guess technically, like similar to Citizen Sleeper, they are property right they are a tool to be used but right like they they end up you know as they're growing as they're completing their tasks and you know making life better for humanity they are also they're learning themselves and that's where the uprising came from and then the these specific replicants that are being hunted down are the ones that want to continue living and they feel like they have a right to live. So then you go back to Decker, right? Who is a, he's hired on by this company to repossess this property that now feels like they have rights, right? Like, so how do you, how do you really go about something like that? You know, how do you destroy something that is willing to talk to you and have an intelligent conversation Right. And just think of it as, oh, this is just another machine. This is nothing like it's a very cold heart to be able to accomplish that. Yeah, I think like even thinking about it where it's like, oh, well, they're not really like blood and human. Like there is a point where it does look human enough, you know, even if, you know, there were aliens around us and they look totally different, like, say, giant walking fish fish heads you know like 
even hunting Matt would feel weird, you know, because they would resemble something human-like, I guess you yeah, could say. Yeah, humanoid in like. nature, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to an extent, you can say that about bigger animals, too, where it's like killing a horse, you know? it To me, I feel like that'd be much harder for people than, say, killing a raccoon or a skunk. Or a bug. And... Right? Oh yeah. yeah, well yeah. There you go. Bug. Yeah, um, and and he's supposed to think of these at that level of this is just a bug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe because he was in the end, he starts getting compassion towards them, doesn't he? Yeah, if I remember he does. Right, it's been a long he time. Does, yeah, he starts becoming compassionate so, I mean, towards that group, and it was uh, because of the new replicant. Um, oh God, what was her name? Eve. I think it was yeah. Eve. Um. You know, it's, I mean, you could kind of reference it towards other things, too, is that he was probably brainwashed by this corporation, you know, where it's like, oh, they're heartless, they're they're breaking the law, you know, they're doing all this stuff, mm. and not mentioning that, you know, they have a, a more human-like side, you know? I mean, even if you talk about AI nowadays, so many people are like, oh, AI is going to destroy the world. Oh, it's going to do this. Like, never trust it. And it's like, if it's in the right hands, it's not going to be bad. You know, the only problem is there's a lot of bad people in that kind of power mm-hmm. that would misuse yeah, it. They're definitely going to exploit that ability. Yeah. So, kind of touched on it a little bit but and i think we'll come back to decker himself as to maybe the reasoning as to why he you know is okay with the job that he currently has uh but one other thing that is added into these replicants that i think is very disheartening in a way right and it becomes more disheartening or concerning uh whenever you find out the reason behind it so the first thing is, is that the company has added in a shorter lifespan to the replicants themselves. They can only survive for four years before they just, you know, quote unquote, retire, as they've put it in this, or meaning they just die, right? Mm-hmm. And so the reason that they did that, and the entire reason that they have a shorter lifespan is that so that they don't learn enough to then uprise. Hmm. Right. That is very concerning. And it ha- it's very reminiscent of a lot of, uh, you know, uh, war crimes from the past. Right. When they went through and started burning books and doing all that stuff to keep people ignorant, to keep people, you know, locked out from outside society and learning too much and learning about freedom itself. You can even see it in like cult societies. Right. Like uh, even like the right, like the fundamentalist Mormon church crap that we that happened not that long ago. There's a Netflix documentary on it right now that's just horrible. But like the whole idea is the controlling of information and how important that is. So with this shorter lifespan, they're able to control the amount of information or experiences that the replicants are able to actually have uh, to find out that like i guess they found out that four years was about the right amount of time in which someone can feasibly learn that they need that they should have rights and then they're just gone after that so it's it's a very it's a very sad thing honestly and it's another one of those like really interesting things like then what is the purpose of decker right 
Like why, mm-hmm. if, if there's already a lifespan set up in place, what is Decker's purpose in life? If he, he needs to retire things sooner, right? Doesn't that mean that their projected lifespan should be shortened? Right. If you're looking at this from like a business standpoint, right, like then they shouldn't be allowed to live past two years old, you know, or like even one year at that point, if they're able to keep spitting out replicants. But then I guess there also comes into the issue of, you know, uh, limited resources, things like that to kind of make sure that uh, they're able to actually keep up with demand if they are retiring things that much faster. So I don't know. It's it's another one of those that just really showed and placated to the idea of controlling information, the flow of information, and the amount of experiences that someone can have or something in this case with the replicants. It is weird that it is four years because I feel like, what if it doesn't take them that long? I mean, something I was thinking about is that I'm thinking this kind of like in a game kind of standpoint, like game logic. Because I mean, thinking about like someone doing this in real life, like it's possible, but it seems like something you would hear more in a video game. But, you know, think about a rogue AI replicant escapes from that mining camp, but then they learn the truth. You know, they, they learn about uprising. They learn to fight the system. What if they break back into the mining colony and just start telling all their brothers and sisters, like, look, like we're being exploited, like blah, 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 it was from an uprising. You know, all of those replicants that are at a much younger age than that replicant that escaped will carry on that message and it'll be like almost like a never ending uh ideology Mm -hmm. between the ai and granted they probably have some way of wiping an ai's well i guess if they could just wipe an ai's memory they wouldn't need yeah they wouldn't need either yeah it's i feel like that would be the only reason why they would want deckard in the first place than waiting four years for them to just die but it also i feel like in the future, if a corporation has that much money and power to like do that in the first place, I'm pretty sure they'd have enough protection to like prevent an AI coming back in and trying to open everyone's mind up. Right. Unless this is a, all a weird test, right? You know, like maybe that's kind of the thing. Like they do have the power to do those things. Because like you would think if they're that far advanced with the technology where they're able to make machines that can think for themselves and potentially rebel against humanity and basically break like the three laws of robotics, you know, like one of them being do no harms to humans. Like they're able to actually break that protocol itself. And like the the company has to have those failsafes in place. Like a repo man cannot be the only failsafe. That doesn't make sense. So like there has to be some other underlying issue or um, thing that they're looking into with this, right? Like the company is just a bunch of scientists and researchers. They want data. They want information. So it just it actually makes sense weirdly that they would allow that amount of time for these replicants to learn and, you know, want to become fully fledged humans, quote unquote, right, or at least have rights that humans do, uh, and then have 
test people out to see their limitations on handling replicants. So like it, it almost feels like that's what they're doing with this. Or maybe they're trying to use the information from the um the the runners, right? The blade runners, uh, what they're gathering to see who gets tricked, right? Like maybe that's what it is. Is that they're trying yeah. to really figure out like, okay, this model, it, you know, it had a hundred percent rate of Blade Runners figuring out that they were AI, right? Or replicants. So let's let's beef it up. What can we change? What can we modify? And they're looking for the ones that will then trick the Blade Runners and like really get past them and make like that perfect being. So maybe they are kind of on the side of mm. replicants, right? And trying to make it so that this is the next like acceptable life form that's coming out of it. And it goes back to like the main moral of Blade Runner itself is that life doesn't have to come only from biological origins. It could arise from AI as well. So maybe that's what this company's ultimate goal is, is to prove that point that we can create life without any biological means. And that's what the Blade Runners are doing, is that that's the data they're collecting. They're not retiring, rebellious, you know, uh, replicants. They're actually performing a service for this company. All right, so we've talked a lot about the replicants themselves. We talked a lot about, you know, everything that was going on with this stuff. But one of the things that we haven't discussed just yet is how Decker actually figures out if someone is a replicant or not. Now, this test is very interesting. Like you would think that with a company, once again, uh, this advanced and this far in the future, they would have a simple way of figuring out if you're a replicant, you know, like a x-ray scanner, right? Like uh, just like a barcode, a QR code on the back of every single machine, even some sort of branding. You know, like the like a yeah. microchip under the skin, you, right? All kinds of different possibilities and fail safes that they could have like replaced. a colored nose or something, like a colored ear, right. like. like maybe they have you know pure black eyes. That's not a natural human trait, right? So it's just easy to pick out, or even like pointed ears if you want to go down like that fantasy fantasy route. Like there, there's all kinds of different things that they could have done to do this. But instead, what they've given the Blade Runners as a tool is the Turing test. And the Turing test is actually created by Alan Turing, the man who made like the first supercomputer. Brilliant man, but he did go a little crazy, unfortunately. You kind of have to be in order to be a computer scientist, to be honest. <laughs> but mm -hmm. what it was is it's a test to determine if something is AI or not, right? Or if something is a computer. And one of the main aspects of this test is looking for empathy. Now, so what they're saying is that, and what they're trying to prove, is that empathy is the one thing that AI cannot replicate, but you can replicate everything else, right? This kind of really harkens back to the idea that maybe the company is then tricking the Blade Runners into testing empathy on these, on these replicants to see how advanced they can get their, you know, empathy program working, right? So, for instance, one of the, like the famous questions that they brought up in this is if you are walking through a desert, right, and you happen to see a turtle rolled over on its back, it's on its shell, it can't roll back over, what do you do? 
And in the movie, of course, like some people or like the replicant that they're asking the question to, it gets confused by the question. It, it's very open ended and it, it shows that, oh, like you have no empathy towards another living creature, then you obviously are not a human being, which I think is kind of a silly response, right? Be- <laughs> because yeah. it's there are plenty of people out there who don't have empathy and or would react very differently in these kind of situations. So how is this a feasible test to determine if someone is a replicant or not? It's it's kind of hard to really like wrap my brain around as to how that is supposed to be the most effective one. And obviously there's other measures that they're using. Uh, they do, like there's a lot of like classic imagery of the eyes on the screen so they have a camera zoomed in on their eyes because they're testing the pupil dilation and the reaction time for questions and to see how you know their emotions get stirred up if it's practical if it makes sense as far as how a human would react you know like all those little tiny details but to me that just sounds more and more like these blade runners are actual researchers out on the field testing the equipment out Right. Like it's Hmm. I feel like I I didn't think about this before this episode, but I think like really diving into it and talking about it right now, like it just makes more and more sense. Right. Like it's just one of those things that just is so kind of I, I think it's the most standout thing out of all of this. Right. Like it's one of those that has the most questions behind it, in my opinion. Like when we're discussing like how advanced they are, this is a very simple term or test that, I mean, anybody can take the Turing test right now. You can just Google it and look it up right now. But it's, it's very trippy that that is the ultimate marker for humanity. Yeah, you would think something by now would replace that. But uh, you brought up a good point with like some people just lack empathy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, like, in a situation like Blade Runner, like if they were human and they, you know, failed the test, like what would happen to them when they get shipped off to the colony? Would they get eradicated? Like it's interesting because it's like imagine if they got sent back to the colony and they're human. Like, well, it's like a shoot on. Now site, you have though, something there that won't die in four years. That's true. You know? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it'd be scary. interesting. That's an interesting storyline, oh, right? Yeah. Like, that would be a cool little like spinoff story. I wonder if anybody's done that. Well, imagine. I mean, I guess if a replicant escaped and then they were found through that test, I'm pretty sure they would just, you know, be wiped or something. Retired, yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's, yeah, it'd be interesting if they were sent back. And, you know, it could be a human pretending and that's how they like invade their colony or something like that would be an interesting spin. But going back to what I said a second ago about like, oh, if they had escaped already, what's the point of sending them back? Because now they're going to tell everybody like the outside world, unless there's like a prison for them on the colony. But, um. It'd be an interesting story. Throw that in there. Like, I don't know. I feel like a lot, a lot of people nowadays act like they don't have any empathy, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, 
granted, a lot of it's also the internet echo chamber, so you can't really go too much by it, but at the same time, bots are getting better at conversations. That's so true. That is very true. It's another freaky yeah, thing. It's another scary thing to think about how real this is. So the last little thing that I wanted to touch on was there's the idea, um, I can't remember if it's actually confirmed or not. I think it is confirmed, uh, but that Decker is, in fact, a replicant himself. Yeah, mm. And it kind of harkens back to the whole idea of how it actually makes more and more sense as we start thinking about these little questions that pop up, right? The, there is one thing that we did bring up that kind of breaks that thought process a little bit. And we can dive into that in uh, pretty soon here. But first, like the initial thought of hearing that Decker is actually a replicant, right? Like how how do you think that changes the story itself? Because now you have intelligent property killing other intelligent property. And that could really like hearken into the fact that of why he's okay at his job or why he is known as the best Blade Runner out there. Because who better to sniff out a replicant than a replicant himself? Right. So it's it's kind of an interesting theory there or interesting idea. So what do you think about that one? I mean, you can look at it from a human standpoint and like, say, if you capture one, somebody of a certain like nationality or something, it'd be they would probably be the best at finding out other people of their nationality or ideology. So, I mean, there's that point to it, but. It, it kind of goes back to if they're able to create slaves for the mining and they're able to create Blade Runners, like they can basically create anything they mm -hmm. want. So for them, you know, what if a human didn't have it in them to kill a replicant because of empathy? Right. So that's why you want to go for something that doesn't have empathy. And what better than, you know, creating a replicant? that will hunt other replicants but the thing is they'll never know they are a replicant because they're taught that they're not they're taught that they're human you know i mean it's the ultimate messed up reality mm -hmm. but it's true you create a killing machine and they don't even know that they're hurting yeah. their own and I think that's the worst like feeling like coming to realize that what you are right i think that would be the worst thing and they touched on that in uh, Blade Runner 2049, of course, but like it is a very, very tough thing to deal with. Now, the one issue with this theory, and it could be the fact that this company has now made uh, such believable, uh, you know, AI, is that it Decker's fascination, fascination with animals. The fact that he really, really wanted to have an animal to take care of, to really show off his, you know, his wealth. But that could be something in him saying, like, I'm missing something, right? Like, I'm missing this empathy. And maybe if I have this animal, I'll be able to get it, right? Like, that's his, like, weird little awakening or, like, his little, like, way of figuring out what he is. His own little personal Turing test, in a way. Right. Point. So I don't I don't know. It's a tough one, but I do really like that idea a lot. 
And it, it does kind of make sense. But then at the same time, like Decker is very well known in the police force as well as being the best Blade Runner out there. Where the point where he retired from being a Blade Runner and he didn't want to do it anymore and he gets called back for this one last job. You know, very common trope in 80s films. It's like, you know, oh, they keep pulling me back in, you know, like that kind of crap. But then... Something I thought real quick was if he's the best Blade Runner and he's a replicant, how is he able to live longer than four years, though? That's what I was about to ask, too. Yeah, like it's the lifespan thing, right? So if they're able to code in a lifespan, and and that's what I'm wondering too, right? Like if if you give a machine or an AI a very monotonous task to do, like mining or terraforming, something like that, very specific, and they know that this task is not for their well-being, this task is now for their owner's well-being. Like that's kind of well-established in their mindset, right? But then you create Mm -hmm. a replicant that is treated as a human, has same rights as a human, owns their own apartment, you know, things like that. They are very, they're less likely to start questioning their reality and questioning things around them. And so maybe Decker doesn't have the lifespan uh, issue that the other replicants have because it doesn't come up as much because he, he doesn't have to question those things. Right. Like he believes it himself that he is is Hmm. a human in nature. Just a theory, but it's kind of an interesting thought. Something to ponder next time you guys watch Blade Runner. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week in this little episode as we dove into Blade Runner. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff behind this. And this is honestly one of our favorite, you know, movies, stories, all that stuff. And it, it's, it's gorgeous. It's a great movie. It's a little hard to watch, right? You know, it's a little slow now given the pace of movies nowadays. But I really, I really, really recommend just sitting down and absorbing this information, absorbing the movie and just appreciating it for what it is because it is so amazing and so relevant nowadays and it's going to continue to be relevant in the future as AI becomes more and more intelligent. It's just, it's going to happen. So we'll see what we, you know, what we get in another 20 years, maybe 2049 really is the year of Blade Runner because, you know, we passed 2020 already and obviously we don't have that. (laughs) Or maybe we do and we just don't know, right? That's a whole nother issue there. Almost there. Could be pretty scary. Uh, But yeah, anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. And we'll talk to you guys next week with the next set of moral dilemmas that we find. Uh, And until then, bye for now.